What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. We are digging into a new theme or topic on this show. I don't know how long this is going to go, but we're just going to hit the ground running. We are digging into parallels. I'm fascinated by parallels. They are magnets for collectors. They create niche communities. People get fired up around them, and we are going to just go. We're going to find some of my favorite parallels, some parallels I want to learn about, and we're just going to go ham on these things. Dig in deep. Hopefully, we learn something along the way. We're going to start not with Superfractors. We're going to start with the Black Finite out of prism. So fascinated by this one. We are living in the era of the Black Finite one of one. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the other side of the Fanatics takeover. There's no person that I could have this conversation with other than my man, Chris McGill, regular on the show from the Card Ladder team. He is a black finite connoisseur, so I wanted to dig in. I think you're really going to enjoy this one, kicking this series off with a bang. If you like what I'm doing, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons, but most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. All right, we have had plenty of time to banter before we hit record. I feel warmed up. Uh, we've got regular reoccurring guest here on the show, helping me kick off a new series that I have not branded yet, Chris. I've, I don't have a name for this. We're just going to call it Parallels for now. But what I want to do is just explore parallels, talk with collectors about these cards, and um, hopefully get people excited enough to um, check out cards, maybe pursue cards, ask questions. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the Black Finite. No other person to do this with other than Chris McGill. Uh, you know him as Chris Hoge um, from the crossover and the card ladder team. He's on this show often. Um, Chris, welcome back. Uh, leader in the clubhouse. How are you? Thank you. Great to be back and a great concept for a series about parallels. I mean, there's so many great parallels to talk about the optical vinyl, the Topps Chrome Superfractor, the Logoman one of one, the Galactic, the Jersey color parallel the nebula like there's just that's that's a treasure trove of content waiting to be made the and you didn't even go deep i mean we could uh, you didn't go back i mean we could talk rubies you know people are going to be beating at the door saying where's the pmg episode we can go on forever so this is i i love parallels maybe we just start there off the top i love parallels i love the serial numbering i love the look and feel of cards i love the communities that are built around parallels why do you think parallels captivate the uh, minds of the collector and the hobby. Yeah, this is one that I think about sometimes. Uh, it definitely comes up when uh, when you have your Michael Jordan collectors, for example. You know, going back sort of to the '90s, you have a group that prefers the inserts, and then you have a group that prefers the parallels. And why? You know, why does one group like the one over the other? And I don't really know. I. I have spent a lot of time as an insert collector of, of Michael Jordan cards, but I ultimately ended up consolidating all of them into parallels. And I don't know what the why it is that I just always was a little more envious of the parallels, but I was. I just, I always like one memory that sticks with me about when I just was so enamored with parallels was getting, um, a parallel, uh, the uh, platinum medallion parallel out of a 1996 ultra pack. I just, I, you know, the, the, the design aesthetic was just the nameplate foil, just that it was made shinier and more sparkly basically. <laughs> and but that, that was it. And I just, I just thought that was so cool that that, that transformed this card from being a base set card into something so much more desirable you know maybe, maybe that's part of it is that uh the base cards like are the promotional material for the parallel so you see the base card a lot the image <clears throat> more ingrained in your mind and then when the parallel shows up it's sort of it it just seems more uh uh desirable to some of us i guess it, and we're going to dive right into black finite but before we do the I feel like we'd be remiss to not get you to talk a little bit about this, but I think for me, 
the manufactured scarcity plays a significant role. Um, knowing that there's only so many copies of these cards, and in today's case, just one copy of those cards, how powerful is that stamp on the back of the card that has the numbering conventions to you when you're buying cards? It's everything. Um, but it's it's not just the stamp. Uh, you also need something that distinguishes it. It can be subtle or it can be elaborate, but there also needs to be something on the front side of the card that makes it special and different from the base set and also from any other parallel. So you need both, I think. But I just think it's everything. And I think, um, you know, the advent of manufactured scarcity, particularly in the form of serial numbering, was an important a necessary evolution in the hobby, maybe even something that forever changed the trajectory of cards and saved card collecting because coming off of the late 80s and the early 90s when, you know, you have the upper deck Griffey rookie, you have allegations that copies of it are being printed on demand and that any concept of the card's supply being fixed is is nullified, um, at least at that time. I don't think they're still printing them today, right? But at one time, there there was the sense that there was a never-ending supply of them. And it was easier pre-internet, much easier, to create local scarcity. You know what I mean? You had your regional show and you had your local card shop, and then you had maybe a little bit of national coverage through magazine publications. but there was no eBay where you could go look and see the full variety of everything that people were willing to make available for sale worldwide. So you could have, you could be the only kid at your, in your class or something with the upper deck Griffey rookie. And like, it feels like a one of one. You're the only one, you know, that has it. Well, you know, the, the serial number, the advent of the first of the parallel and then of the serial numbered parallel, which by the way, was, was greatly resisted according to editorials written to Beckett, uh, if you go back and read those magazines, the, the the refractor parallel and then the serial numbering was resisted by the collecting community, or at least some people in it, very strongly resisted. But adding those things created the collectability in cards that was needed, I think, to keep the collector captivated and to give them something higher to aspire to and so on and so forth. So I you know the parallel is just, and the and especially the the rare parallel for me, it's uh, it's just it's crucial, and it solves the same problem that grading helped to solve um, in helping establish a hierarchy and to create tiers and to stratify collecting cards that didn't have parallels, but that still some cards were in much better condition than others, and grading helped to solidify that and to help to create tiers. I mean. You know, without grading, uh, the, what what is what's the status of the tops fifty two mantle in the hobby without grading? Um, you know, there's still clearly eye appeal differences. There's still going to going to be a hierarchy and levels and stuff. But but would it be? You know, what what would that look like? It's a, it's an interesting question. I wanted to start with the Black Finite because I wanted to start with a modern parallel that although and maybe next to impossible, if someone opened up a pack of Prism, they could find one. Um, I have owned Black Finites. I own Black Finites. And I feel like Superfractors get a majority of the coverage when we're talking about a one-on-one, -on -one, one of one on a, like uh, Mount Rushmore of parallels. But to me, and again, a lot of this is going to be personal opinion, I think the Black Finites aren't too far behind because of a lot of different reasons that I'm sure we're going to get into. Maybe we start from the top. I know you're a connoisseur of the Black Finite. Um, maybe any, do you have anything noteworthy to call out as we kind of set the stage for this conversation in terms of like the history of this parallel throughout Prism? Also, if you want to like talk about Prism, because I know you're a Prism simp, that might put an exclamation point on why this uh, parallel matters. Um, the floor is yours. Yeah. So I guess we have uh, 11 years worth of Black Finite. Well, yeah, 11 years worth of Black Finites because the first Prism football set came out in 2012. 
Um, and then, you know, the black finite has its fraternal twin, not its identical twin in basketball, which would be the, the true black. And I think that's what UFC and WWE cards have too. They have the true black as well. Panini has always sort of uh, like given a little extra juice to the football products. You know, they, if they've always just made the, the football products are always just a little bit better or something, I, or at least to me, I love the black finite. I think it's more beautiful than the true black. And for the, from 2012 until 2021, Prism football, there was only one, one of one parallel to the Prism base set, and that was the Black Finite. It wasn't until 2022 that Prism finally introduced two additional one of one parallels, the Black Stars and the Black Shimmer. So there was this great uninterrupted run where there was just indisputably one best prism parallel in football and there still is if we're being frank um but now there's there's two other one of ones uh that that come as well but yeah i mean prism has uh has this great legacy that it's sketched for itself obviously and and the black finite you know to me that's the centerpiece of of prism that's that's the that's the peak of the prism mountain is getting that black finite is there anything so um, it can get hairy, especially when we introduce other black one of one um, characters in this mix with <laughs> you called out the black stars, which I like. I didn't even know these existed until like I think I saw them in an eBay search and I was like, what? And then there's the shimmer and then there's the just true black. Is there anything people should know or um, about like the difference? I think you've stated like black finites reign supreme. But if we own any of the counterparts, like is it like how, I think it's lesser than potentially. But how like how drastic of a difference in your mind is the separation between those? Well, uh, for me personally, being that I uh, <laughs> I made it my goal in Christian McCaffrey collecting to get every Black Finite one of one, and I do have it. I have all six um, from his rookie year, 2017 through 2022. And then I faced a question after I got his 2022, which I have right here. I brought it out for a little inspiration as we chat. Huh. Okay, so this this I think is his second best uh, black finite after the rookie is his 49ers mm. first black finite. Um, I had the question of like, well, do I want to go after, you know, the uh, the black stars and the black shimmer also? And I decided, no, I don't. Uh, so, you know, there's there's one anecdotal piece of evidence that. I love the Prism Black Finite, but I was not interested in um, taking a stab at the Black Stars or the Black Shimmer. And also this extends to like inserts as well. So like I do have one Black Finite McCaffrey insert from 2019. I think it's called Emergent. And mm. I said, you know, do I want to make it a do I want to make it a pursuit? Like if one comes up, I'll buy it, you know, an insert black finite, but do I want to like really pursue these and make these part of my personal checklist? And I decided, no, I don't. I just want to focus on just the, just the one, just the base set black finite one of one. So for me, um, that's the appeal is like, that's, that's the appeal of the black finite. Uh, the black finite to the base set is like, the appeal of it is that this is the best card of McCaffrey from Prism. And if it's not the best card, then I'm kind of just like with I kind of gave up on pursuing the McCaffrey Prism Golds, too, because it's it was like, well, these are neat, but like and they're amazing cards. Let me not understate them. They're incredible cards, but I I want the black. That's that's what I'm going for. I'm going for the best one, not not the runner up. So I, I want to I don't want to uh, I don't want to kind of gloss over this. I, um, I'm in a fortunate position from doing the show by meeting and talking with a lot of collectors, uh, follow, spent a, too much time following collectors. And I, and you, maybe, you know, someone, but I've never met anyone who's come even close to collecting every year of a black finite for their player. And you, 
you have that, which is insane to me knowing how hard it's been on me to go on runs like the luck gold run like that was hard and but this is like let like several level levels higher by finding tracking down okay so the, obviously like there's some passion there right you're you're on a pursuit like tell us like how challenging of an endeavor that is and at what lengths did you go to to be able to sit up here right now and say, Hey, I own every black finite of Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Well, um, Christian McCaffrey is by far the least collected and the least valuable player that I collect by far. Okay. Like, um, I did a little assessment of the value of my collection over the weekend and McCaffrey was uh 4% of the value of the collection. So you know, but also half of my collection is McCaffrey cards. <laughs> All right. So like dopamine hits. Yes, exactly. Just, and I, dude, I don't, I don't really uh, like to sort of like build on my previous answer just a little bit. Like one of the reasons why I stayed away from the black stars and the black shimmers, because like those cards are going to be worth a couple thousand bucks. And I'm like, I'm, the opportunity cost that money is too high to go for mm. the second best. Um, but like, when McCaffrey one of ones come up from like totally certified for 125 bucks, I'm I those are my dope my weekly dopamine hits for sure. Uh, all right, so um, you know, so McCaffrey is by far the lowest the low man on the totem pole of my PC, but I've had multiple people remark to me, including most notably uh, my partner, my friend Josh Johnson my business partner <laughs> remarked to me that uh, the McCaffrey, the full, the first six black finite one of ones is the most impressive accomplishment I've ever had as a collector. I agree. I, I completely <laughs> agree. Do I do it. I have, I've been shaking trees on, and I'm not going to disclose it here. I've been shaking trees and I can't find anything on certain stuff. And my mind is always like, they're still in the packs. Because that's how hard I've gone. So that's why it's absurd to me. And I, I would agree with Josh's sentiment on that. Yeah. Well, like just the act of finding them is so difficult. Um, like I, I have located Le'Veon Bell. He's another PC player of mine. I guess he's maybe even lower on the totem pole than McCaffrey. I should I should have given him that respect when I was doing <laughs> my previous rant. And, and I, uh, I found his... I located his uh, Prism Black one of one rookie, although I had indirectly known where it was because somebody knew that I wanted it because of a story mm -hmm. post that I made. So they they knew where it was, but they wouldn't tell me who had it. But they were like, "I'll make an offer on your behalf." Oh my god, which I do appreciate. You know, I do appreciate it. But uh, can't you just put me in touch with the guy? But anyway, <laughs> all right. So I I actually did end up finding who has it. And then he ain't selling. Um, and you, sometimes you can tell like, well, he's not selling, but if I make a stupid offer, he will. And this is not that. This is like, this guy uh, wants just to own this card. And that's the real risky part about making one of ones a, a focal point of your pursuit is that, you know, maybe there's somebody else out there who feels as strongly about them as you do. And then you're in trouble. Or likes them even more. Uh, so with McCaffrey, it was, um, I think the first one, I actually the first two that I got were miraculously offered to me. So the first two that I got, like a couple of collector friends who don't collect McCaffrey has sort of shrewdly picked up these two McCaffrey black prism one of ones. And then when they saw that I was collecting McCaffrey, I don't think they didn't do it because of me, obviously, but like I could say it shrewdly because like, if you see a McCaffrey prism black one of one just sitting out there, yeah, I would, I would, or like if, if not McCaffrey, if like Tyreek Hill or something like, yeah, I'd go pick that up too. So, but when they found out I was collecting McCaffrey, they messaged me, they said, Hey, would you be interested in this? Like, I'm, I'm not going out of my way to sell this, but like, it seems like you might appreciate it. And they gave me really fair prices when they sold them to me. So the first two found me. Then to get the third one, I had to break up a rainbow. And that's never well received. 
because when somebody has the rainbow, they want to sell you the whole rainbow, obviously. <laughs> and I don't care about the whole rainbow. I just want the one. So I paid really strongly for the third one. And then I put out a, a very dumb bounty for the rookie, which took maybe a year or two before somebody cashed in the bounty. And the great irony of it is that the card, like I had several people try to put me in touch with the alleged owner of the card, but it never went anywhere. Well, the card showed up because somebody in Bellevue, Washington, um, just walked it into uh, the collector's corner Northwest. I hope I didn't butcher that name, but they walked it into that card stop, that card shop, just like traded, traded it basically for some Mahomes cards. And then it just like the card shop just made a reel uh, to put it to Instagram and just was like showing, um, you know, different cards that they had. And just boom, there's the McCaffrey rookie prison black one one. And so somebody that I used to go to trade nights with when I lived in Southern California at Bullpen LA also knows the owner of that shop and was able to secure the card immediately for me based on my bounty. But like, it's just so it, it was a, it was a middleman ultimately who recognized my bounty and then purchased the card on behalf of me knowing that my bounty was there. But the person who actually had the card still didn't even, it wasn't my, it was just the card just walked itself into a shop. And so I ended up, going to Los Angeles to meet up with my with my old comrade to do that deal. And then he was so gracious. I mean, he's he told me like, look, he got the card for less than what my bounty was. And, you know, he he was like, look, I'll just sell it to you for what I bought it for. Um, and, I, and I was like, no, I'll, I will pay whole bounty. I, that's I have to do that. <laughs> that's I made the bounty. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to wimp out on it now. Like I, you, you earned this man, you found the card, you secured it. I put the bounty out there. The least I can do is pay up on what I said, but he was gracious enough to offer not to, um, which, which is just kind of maybe a testament to our little community here. But so that, that was the hardest one to track down the most recent one, the, the 49ers one, uh, somebody, uh, a woman opening boxes outside in her car outside of her local hobby shop in new york and hit the card and there were and she just posted it to a facebook group and like a couple people quickly sent me it and i I wasn't even in this facebook group i requested access i got in and like people were just lowballing in the in the replies you know 100 bucks you know and then i come through way over the top with a massive <laughs> offer and she's like are you serious like is this a joke and i was like no that's what this card is worth at least to me and let's just do, let's just get this deal done, damn it. <laughs> yes. And so we, we did the deal. Uh, but like, she even like has, she was like, she, she, before she agreed, she made sure to ask like, are you trolling? Like, is this a serious offer? And I was like, yeah, it is. So, you know, we, the hobby is still so vast and so different and so spread out and that like, you still get, and like, that's just, that's dumb luck. That is dumb luck that I that, that that card was able to find its way to me because she took the time to make a post to Facebook after she hit the card opening a box in her car. You know, I mean, dude, there, as much as I would like to say, yeah, I worked really hard and I had a good strategy. And, no, dude, it was it, it's it's dumb luck that I was able to come into them. And I know that one of these times, maybe next year, maybe the year after. You know, maybe it doesn't get pulled for years. Maybe it never gets pulled or maybe it never shows up. So it, you just, you just got to get lucky. That's really what it boils down to. I, I, uh, there's a lot of takeaways there. One off spotlight <laughs> for the listeners is, um, I love that opportunity when, you know, a card exists somewhere and you are the one who probably values it more than anyone else. And instead of coming in lower than everyone else, just, Given a given a fat offer just so you can secure the damn card and make sure it's in your collection. Yeah, man, that's 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 like a that's like a a sibling of the megabit, um, <laughs> where like the megabit is is in the auction setting. You know, like that's the way you guarantee that you're gonna win. 
and you have to be prepared to pay the full amount on the mega bid. But um, if you end up, you know, lucking out and the second highest bidder just doesn't have a mega bid, like you can save 70% of what you were going to pay. So this is like a, this is the, this is the drunk uncle of the mega bid. <laughs> because this, in this case, you know, you're throwing any chance of underpaying out the window. You are committing to pay that full megabit and you're going to have to pay it. And, you know, if you ever turn around and want to sell the card at some point, you very likely are going to take a loss. But man, the, the, the privilege of owning the item is definitely worth it for me when I'm making those calls. So I, I would I would be remiss not to talk with you about just maybe anything data specific or noteworthy that you know of or that you've seen just on the black finite front. I like when I think of these cards, I think of like if it's a player that you have you have and their card pops up, you better be ready to spend money on them um, because likely there's a lot of other people that are going to be chasing them. Um, but I'm curious, like, is there anything just on your end that you've noticed in card ladder regarding like black finite data that would be uh, noteworthy for a conversation about the parallel? Well, uh, one of the most interesting things about the black finite and other one of ones is that uh, there's just there's very little data about them, period. Um, like uh, with McCaffrey. I own all six and none of them have any sales in sales history. So, 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 so uh, and I don't need to know n- numbers here, but if you think about all six of those, I, I would imagine the rookie cost you the most. Maybe oh, it yeah. did not. Okay, it did. Yes. Uh, what what sort of a difference between? Has it been pretty consistent what you've paid for all of them, or has there been uh, wide discrepancies? Yeah, the most I paid was for the rookie. The second most I paid was for the 49ers. No, I'm <laughs> sorry. No, the most I paid is for the rookie. The second most I paid was for the second year, the 2018. And then the third most I paid was for the first 49ers appearance. And then the other three were like same, pretty much the same. Okay. So, so how would you advise, I guess I'm collecting a player. I have the opportunity to buy their 2015. Um, there's no data regarding their 2014 or 2013. How would you advise me to come to the conclusion that that card is going to end up in my possession and I'm going to have the highest chance of getting the card without overpaying for it? Or do we just always have to overpay in order to secure something like this? Yeah, you don't You don't have to always overpay, um, but you are at the mercy of the opinion of the person who owns the card and or the people who are advising that person. And, you know, <laughs> there's just such a range of outcomes that are possible. Uh, You know, and like for some people, I remember this from Shirley Mueller's book on the psychology of collecting. She makes this point emphatically. For some people, the pleasure of collecting is directly related to getting a deal on the thing that you're collecting. So for some people, there's not going to be pleasure, even if they love the card, they're not going to get as much enjoyment if they know that they they made a bad deal um, from an objective point of view. So there is that point of view out there that like, you know, somebody might love that 2015 black finite or whatever card we're talking about, but they, they're really only going to get excited about it and feel great about it if they get a deal too. Uh, that's That's definitely a thing. So, uh, but, but even that person can definitely succeed in getting these grails, but you have to have the right circumstances line up. You know, you have to have a, you have to have a willing seller who values the card less than you do, or who, you know, is, is in a situation where they need to sell it because as hard as it can be to find these cards, it can also be hard to find a buyer too. 
uh, a buyer who's willing to pay for that card what what you know those of us who are very high on it think think that it's worth. So sometimes you can just find a good situation where you got somebody who's ready to let the card go and they're looking for a buyer. And, you know, that topic too is interesting. Maybe we can like do a next question on that or, or, a, or a later question on it. Just kind of like the ignorance surrounding the hobby's best cards, the willful ignorance surrounding it. Yeah. Yeah. I would, um, let's, let's, uh, Let's let's get to that. I, I have a follow up here, and then we'll sure. jump into that. Um, I have seen, noticed this trend on Instagram, and I think it's a pretty good trend. And there's a lot of vocal collectors out there that are very emphatic about um, trying to keep cards like a black finite in the hands of the collectors of those players as opposed to seeing those cards be flipped around town on every auction site or showing up in showcases at every, the next Dallas, the next 10 Dallas shows in a different showcase, Um, you know? And so I guess like with a black finite, obviously when you have a a piece that's one of one and you're a a flipper, um, there's an opportunity there, right? There's an opportunity to buy this card and then you can set the new price for this card. And if people don't like it, you can say, you know, go beat it. So I guess like when you've got a card like a Black Finite who that's hot ticket item, there's only one copy of those. Um, do you think that majority of these cards right now in the conversation are ones that are being flipped around town? Or do you find most of the cards are buried in collections with the right people. Is it a spattering of both? Like what, what have you been seeing on, on the finite front? It's both. I think flippers have, uh, and dealers have taken much more of an interest in them over the last 24 months. At least that's how it seems to me. And I also think that's part of the natural evolution of the, of the prominence of mountaintop cards in the hobby like once upon a time, I think products weren't really centered around the one of one. The one of one was like this cool bonus that's there for this special subset of a subset of collectors. But the product was oriented around the refractor parallel, you know, or the silver or whatever. Uh, and now I think that has flipped. And now I think products are being engineered around the very best card in the product like flawless in basketball is heavily focused on the top of the top cards that you can get from it. The rookie logo man autograph, one of ones and those damn triple logo mans (laughs) in those cards. Right. Or like, you know, prism now more than ever is, and it just, you know, Prism now more than ever is focused on the the black finite one of one in football. And like sort of a testament to that is like Panini was like, all right, you know, Prism, the focal point of Prism has become the, 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 not like, you know, you know, in cars you have like case hits or you have like a box hitter. This is the product hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think now, you know, in acknowledgement of that, manufacturers said, all right, all right, you guys want these so bad here take three of them you know we always get we always get punished like that when we ex- when we show uh an affinity and a market demand for something like more and more come out yeah so i think you know i think it's been natural i think it's been happening i think part of that is because of is because of breaking like how does a breaker incentivize people to want to go out and get their pro get the product well like dude here's your best lottery ticket chance mm-hmm. right is to get the best card so i think it makes sense that things have evolved that way so I, I think I've seen more of it lately, but with, with dealers and flippers, there's two different sort of trains of thought. The, you have one train of thought, which is like, I want to have the cards in my display case that have the broadest appeal that the most people will recognize and understand and that have a very liquid market. So it's not hard to comp it. And there's plenty of evidence out there that people are buying and selling these all day long. So like that's, certainly a, a school of thought and like the flipper the dealer especially in a market like today's market they make their margin by obtaining stuff at a discount 
whether it's through acquiring in bulk or whether it's through a trade or whether it's just through having a better mastery of the market than the person on the other side of the deal. And so, you know, if they know that a car is worth a hundred bucks and they're, and they know that because they can go and see a high, a high transaction volume at that price. And then they also know that they can go buy it. They can get obtain it from somebody at 80 bucks or the way they find one at 80 bucks. And they know they might even be able to mark it up in the context of like a show or a deal or something. If I can get 110 for it or something, you know, like that, there's a, there's a school of thought, a very strong school of thought that that's the best way to operate a, uh, a card dealing business. But then there's this other school of thought, which is different, radically different, which is I don't want cards that you, that the other end, that the other side of the bargain can readily figure out the value for I want cards that are that that I can set the price for. I want cards where the people seeking them out are so passionate that they're gonna they're that you know I can really test how far they're willing to go, how deep their pockets can get to get this particular card. So that's a whole different philosophy of being a dealer and a flipper. Is like I want to go after those those elusive mountaintop cards that, you know, the, the buyer pool of which will be much smaller, but it, when I find the right buyer, I'm not going to make 20%. I could make 200%. So there's just, there's just two schools of thought on that, I guess. So I want to maybe pull on this thread that you brought up because um, there, if, if, and we can just z- focus in on like the one of ones and we've talked about the one of ones and uh, I just, you could look at select and you can see the black gold and then you can see the black and then there's the different levels and each of the levels has their own one of ones. And then you mentioned in prism, like the, the stepchildren of the black finite and those exist. I'm curious just on your end, like with all of these parallels that exist, um, all these one of ones that exist, like I feel like black finites probably have the best chance to have a lasting collector base over time because they were the first, but maybe like us as collectors and us as a community, how, how do we decide collectively? Like these are the cards that we're going to put our money on. Like, is it the aesthetics? Is it the story behind the cards? It like, what are those reasons? Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is uh, the question of this era, in my opinion. Um, and like how we as a community as an, and as individual collectors approach and answer this question is going to be really important. And it's going to be a step in the development and the evolution of the hobby. And I don't think the answer is known yet how to answer this question. But I'll give a couple things um, as precedence to why something that's a little bit better than something else can be worlds better than something else at the same time. So two examples. Uh, The first one is that the difference between a really fast running gym teacher and an Olympic athlete can be a few tenths of a second. And so you could have like you could have somebody who's just a terrific athlete, but not quite an Olympian. And, you know, they're coaching track in Florida. And then you have the person who is two tenths of a second faster in the hundred yard meter dash, or I'm sorry, the hundred meter. <laughs> and, uh, and you could have, um, and you could, and, and that two seconds is a difference between an Olympian and, you know, a recreational athlete. Uh, which is a which is a world of difference. Or you know, to give another a different example, uh, you know, in sports all the time, we have outcomes like uh, like when Team USA took their first loss in the FIBA tournament, they lost by two points, uh, a score of 113 to 111. But two points is the difference between having an opportunity to win gold medal and then getting sent to the bronze medal game, where in the bronze medal game, they tied. They were literally tied even with Canada, went into overtime and lost. But the difference of just two points is the difference between being the best in the world 
and not even meddling. So the smallest differences in performance can lead to enormous differences in outcome. And I think that's probably a decent metaphor for understanding why you can have a product that's a little bit better than a different product, but outcome-wise, the one that's a little bit better is multiples more desired. Um, because I, I guess maybe part of the, the psychology of that, once again, goes back to like the desire is to be first. It's not to be second, even if the difference between first and second is tiny. The So I think one of the examples that I that comes to my mind as we talk through this and believe me, I don't know why it's an example, because I certainly am not the demographic of this. But I think about luxury brands. I think about. Uh, to me, suitcases. I think about Gucci shirts. I th- and th- it's really unexplainable when you like look at the uh, uh, and I I'm pulling this out of my ass, but a fifteen hundred dollar t shirt that just says Gucci on it that looks like uh, uh, a t shirt that I have in my closet that I spent twenty five bucks on. But there is an audience for that, and because they value the brand, do you think? The, the nature of consumer habits on the luxury side translates potentially over to uh, the way these brands and products and these parallels like Black Finite uh, last in the minds of collectors for the foreseeable future. Is there any crossover there? I think it has to. Yeah, I think I think it absolutely has to, especially when you're talking about luxury brands and stuff like that. I mean, you're you're dealing with a group that is interested in signaling that they want the best or that they can afford the best or that they have the best. And there's no, it's, it's a little bit douchey, but that's okay. And there's, there's a little bit of that in cards too. There's a lot of that in cards. It's it's competitive in a, in a similar, but different fashion too. And so uh, I think that there is a, there, there, that's definitely at the heart of it. And you know what I was thinking about when you were talking (laughs) an issue that's been on my mind, lately is uh authentication of Mm. things and there's so much counterfeiting that goes on in luxury clothing and and apparel and handbags and and you know it's not like super difficult for anybody to just go get the fake rolex watch or the the fake gucci bag or the fake louis shoes or whatever and nobody's gonna know Unless like somebody like walks up with their magnifying glass and says, hold on a minute, let me inspect that brand logo, which nobody's going to do. And yet, and I mean, obviously governments and stuff crack down on this stuff and try to prevent counterfeits from ever being made. But even though it's so easy to counterfeit and to fake it, you know, that doesn't really seem to stop these luxury brands from thriving, even though people could have the fake thing but they still want to buy the real thing. That's, 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 that's a huge part of it is just being seen in the Gucci store, you know, buying that belt or that wallet or whatever. And, and with cards, uh, we have authentication, you know, like, uh, like, like there's these, these customs on eBay, those are never making it into a PSA or a BGS or an SGC slap just ain't happening. So, um, or (laughs) It may happen on rare, rare occasion, but, uh, you know, hopefully it's not happening too much. Let's just say that. So, uh, you know, that's that's the thing that that stands out to me is like we don't even have to worry about like the the competing availability of counterfeits that can dupe everybody. You know, we don't have that. We we really have like strong authentication procedures to verify the people who have the real thing. Episode title, The Black Finite, The Gucci of Sports Card Parallels. That's, we're going to chalk that one down. Um, when, when, maybe this is just a me thing, um, but I, when I think of the significance personally to Black Finites, to me, I immediately look at the Superfractor. You know, the Superfractor came first, set the stage, obviously coming from Topps products. Is there, I guess, how do you think about superfractors versus black finite? Is there anything maybe 
we can learn from the super fracture of it all to kind of position next to black finite. And I'll add this like little sprinkle into it. I'm not sure. Like when I post anything and I, I specifically didn't start with super fractures, but when I post anything about super fractures, like it, it could be my cards. It could be like, Hey, let's start a conversation. Hey, show your super fractures. Nothing gets people more excited than them showing you here's my super fracture. And it's like a badge of honor. Like, and I'm curious, like, do you think that same energy comes with black finite? Will we have a community around black finites? Is there maybe talk a little bit about the contrast between those two parallels? Well, yeah, the super fracture is such an important card and it comes from tops chrome and you know the tops chrome brand is just so strong and there's also finest super fractors as well obviously which are also highly coveted and what what's interesting is that finest as a product predates tops chrome you know like that's like tops chrome gets a lot of the accolades but if you look at which one actually has the deeper history finest goes back to 93 Tops Chrome goes back to 96. Uh, and then I would say this as well, like with all due respect to the Superfractor, don't forget about those Flare masterpieces. Mm. Um, whether it was the Flare Legacy Collection, you know, parallel masterpiece one of ones, of which there are four in 1997-98 basketball, or whether it was the Ultra Masterpiece one of one, which had uh, base and a subset, in 97 and then had the purple masterpiece one of one in 98 or whether it's the um the gem masters from 98 the gem masters one of one uh you know these one of ones predated the super fractor um but back then i think the one of one was so mythical and products definitely were not being built around those cards is the focal point uh that you know those cards are sort of just they're just unicorns they're well that that brings me to a point that i want to make here and i'll just i'll this is a good segue for it so in michael jordan collecting there's this tendency a very understandable tendency among us michael jordan collectors when we inevitably make our lists of what the best cards are to close our eyes and say we're going to pretend that his playing days one of ones don't exist and when I make my list, I'm going to start it with the essential credentials now out of nine. And then, you know, the PMG green out of 10. And I'm just going to focus on that. I'm not going to do the one of ones. And the, and the argument used to be like, well, you know, the one of ones are unobtainable. Well, guess what? The PMG green is unattainable. And the essential credentials now out of nine is these are now unattainable too. So like these lists, like, when these lists were first being made, like in the early 2010s and like showing up on hoop royalty and some of these websites, like the PMG green still was attainable, but like it set this blueprint or this trend of like, when we make our list for the best Michael Jordan cards, let's just pretend that the best cards don't exist. Mm. And it's like, dude, there's only eight. There's only eight. All right. There's, there's eight plain days, Michael Jordan, one of ones that exist that come from, you know, the major brands that also have all the other grails that we love. And like, can we stop the willful ignorance? Can we stop that? Can we stop like telling ourselves, I mean, you know, obviously they're unattainable. You know, Nat has half of them. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> they're unattainable, but like, let's stop, you know, let's, let's start acknowledging because it's not hard. You know, like if you're making your list of your top Jordan cards, you know, there's just eight more that should be on that list. And, and to go over them once more, Michael Jordan has eight. That's it. He's got the gem masters from 98 uh, metal universe, which is the only PMG one of one. Okay. Just a, a just a ridiculous card <laughs> that we just pretend doesn't exist. And we never talk about, you've got, uh, three ultra masterpiece one of ones. You've got the base set one from 97. You got the subset one from 97, the 98 grades. You got the purple one from 98. So that's four cards. And then you have four and only four from 97 only. Flare, uh, let uh, the uh, Flare showcase one of one masterpieces as well. 
eight cards. All right. It's time that we put those cards on our lists and that we stop having willful ignorance about the best cards ever made because it trickles down. And like, what if somebody is like a Tony Delk collector or something, you know, like, like that person's still taking their cues from the Michael Jordan collectors and like looking at the list that they make and stuff. Well, guess what? Though one of those eight cards might be attainable for the Tony Dell collector or for the Hakeem Olajuwon collector. Like Hakeem's ultra masterpiece, one of one from 98, just sold on eBay for like 15 grand a few months ago. And I would like go look at it once in a while and think about it, but never buy it. That seems cheap. Yeah. Yes. But you want to know part of the reason why it's cheap is because so many 90s collectors have put these cards out of sight and out of mind. Ah. And like, that's why I'm, I'm calling for an end to the willful ignorance um, in nineties collecting. And, but, but that's, that's partially an artifact of me having plunged so deeply into ultra modern collecting over the last five years is that I, I get, and I understand. And I, the, the one of ones, like they're much more prevalent, right? Like, there's been a proliferation of one and ones and ultra modern, but because of that proliferation, you've, you've, I, I had no, no dog in this race, but you have sold me on the fact that because one of ones are so important and because we all chase them now, and because we're sitting up here doing a whole episode on black finite, we can't forget about what is before, right? We can't forget about that. And, I, I knew some of what you just described, but I didn't know all of it. But to me, like as a one of one advocate and a one of one collector, I want to know more information about those cards. I want people talking about those things, whether it's Michael Jordan or any anyone else. So um, hopefully this conversation could get people excited about one of ones, not just in the ultra modern sense, but um, in the history of that. It tells the story of the hobby, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I I commandeered a question that should have been giving a lot of respect and praise to super practors and uh, <laughs> pivoted okay. it to my own agenda. But let's just have a sentence <laughs> that says, "Hey, super practors are awesome. They they do predate the black finite. They're key cards, obviously." So, I want to close out with this. I want uh, so all of this conversation right now with the fanatics takeover, with uh, you know the panini. NFL, all this stuff uh, had me thinking, okay, so like me as a collector, I put such importance on the Prism brand. I will always, because I'm like you, Chris, I'm a Prism simp. When I reentered the hobby, this is the car. These are the cars that were in my face. When I started learning more about them, I realized the different levels and you end up with the golds and then the black, all the, I'm infatuated by it. I'm curious, do, does the, the fanatics takeover and potentially the expiration of, you know, the Panini brands like Pr- Prism. Um, and I, I'm not forecasting. I'm just, this is a hypothetical here based on some of the conversations that are happening. Do you think that puts more significance to a parallel like a black finite, or do you think that ma- there's less significance? And I know this is like a crystal ball type answer, but I'd love to get your perspective. Yeah. Great question. Uh, one of the most important questions to answer as we sort of think about the long term of the hobby and the short term and the medium. T- all the terms are impacted by this question. Okay, so one of the things that comes to mind is uh, what makes the PMG Red uh, from the 90s so special? For football, there's 135 of them. For basketball, there's 90. They came out in one year. That was it. Um, Those cards, relative to their status in the hobby today, were dwelling in obscurity for 15, 20 years. Like from the early 2000s until, well, maybe closer to 50. Like the early 2000s to the mid-2010s, there certainly was not this fascination and obsession with PMGs particularly the greens and the reds that exist today. And so like, that's the short and the medium term outlook for something that ends, you know, like, I think that, I think that like the, the momentum of new product coming out 
and sell sheets coming from manufacturers and like breakers making content surrounding this stuff. Like the black finite stays ever present in our minds because there's new ones coming out and there's, and that means that there's new ones selling and, you know, then there's, and it's the hit and, you know, anybody who's buying prism is hoping to pull it. Well, what happens if you just take all that away? You know, like I think you sort of get an out of sight, out of mind thing starts to happen. So like in the short and the medium term, I think the the desirability of the prism black finite, especially if it's like replaced with the Topps Chrome Superfractor, I think it goes down. Um, I, I just think that it goes it gets out of sight and out of mind for a lot of people. But long term, to go back to my PMG green and red analogy, long term, when that nostalgia hits for the people who collected so passionately during the era of panini and the era of prism when that nostalgia hits it's probably gonna look something like when the nostalgia hit for people of the 90s and then it's it's awesome that there's only 10 pmg greens and that they didn't make them in subsequent years and that there wasn't any focus or you know like once they were done people stopped talking and thinking about them because they were on to new and different products in the long term that's that's the best thing like if michael jordan had 3 years of pmg greens and reds instead of one the desirability of of the pmg greens and reds would be much lower in my opinion and so same thing with prism black finites if we end up having 40 years of prism black finites as opposed to the 11 or so that we have now, you know, that is a huge, like if Tom, Tom Brady right now, I guess has what maybe uh, from 2012 to 2022, he currently has 11 black finite one of one parallels to the base set. And you know what? 11, that number is really close to 10, which is how many PMG green Michael Jordans exist. And Tom Brady has in terms of prism golds, I guess he's got 110 uh, true prism gold parallels to the base set. And you know what? That number is like really similar to the 135 uh, PMG reds that football had. I guess, and football had 15 PMG grades. Okay, but so th those numbers are close, and that's that's a that's a sweet spot in my opinion. So on a long term perspective, which is like where my mind is always at naturally when it comes to cards, um, on a long term perspective it's probably really going to be good that if it, if it ends up, if the result is that we get this bookend of prism where like prism runs from like 2012 to 2024. And then we have, you know, 13 total prism blacks for guys like Tom Brady, or I guess like playing years sort of cuts that off. But if, you know, if, if, if we get to that, where that ends up being the number, there's like basically 13 prison blacks at most for somebody like LeBron ends up having, you know, 13 or 14 prison black parallels to his base card in the prism set. Long-term, I think that's really good. I think that's, that's a good number to have um, for when, uh, for when that nostalgia cycle kicks in for all the people who have been hardcore collecting all those damn kids with their hundred thousand dollars Zion cases or their Pelican cases. You know, when they come back in 15 or 20 years um, and they and, and they want to go back and get those prison black one of ones that they remember, that's that's probably better that we have fewer. I think uh, what you just said and thinking about things from a run perspective um, and drawing parallels, no pun intended or pun intended, whatever <laughs> you will, with um, uh, a specific parallel that the hobby loves, like uh, precious metal gems is really sound and i hope we move more in that direction looking at the hobby from that perspective 20 years from now just because i know collectors like to collect runs i don't know a collector who doesn't like to collect a run so it makes a lot of sense but hopefully you all enjoyed this conversation deep dive into black finites chris thanks for being the parallel uh guinea pig here and talking through and sharing your passion uh really appreciate you making time and digging in yeah thanks for having me i always appreciate chris's passion for his cards and the parallels that he collects 
Hopefully you enjoyed this episode on the Black Finite out of prison. We're going to be doing more of these. I'm so excited to share these conversations with you. You all have a great weekend. Happy collecting, and we'll talk to you soon. 